0: welcome this week's guest obtained her bachelor's degree in psychology in 1987 from the university of maryland and a master's degree in social work in 1993 and has been a clinical social worker for 30 years in addition to this she decided to join the army at age 42 because she wanted to be part of something bigger than herself and have a bigger impact and during her time served in Afghanistan from 2008 to 2010. She is an expert in the following topics, anger management, anxiety, coping with chronic pain, depression, domestic violence, eating disorders, grief and loss, low self-esteem, parenting, relationships, stress, substance abuse, trauma, women's issues, and work issues. Crikey, what a list. And she has provided trauma services for Hurricane Katrina, the 9-11 um, incident, bank robberies, military deployment, and has helped children's and teens cope with academic challenges, bullying, divorce, peer pressure, and low self-esteem. This is the Strong, Single, and Human podcast. Welcome hi welcome elaine belson welcome to the podcast
1: i'm very excited to be here thank you
0: no i'm excited to hear your story it's like amazing um okay so i'm gonna shut up um tell us about your journey tell us about
1: how you got here um yeah that I uh, definitely has been um a uh, a journey that's taken a lot of different paths more than probably you you know um so I started out I was very involved in theater and my dream school was getting into NYU's theater program which I did um and uh one of the things that that we did as part of the theater program was we got to listen to different um we would call them celebrities right you know so there was like oliver stone the director kevin klein the actor Nora efren the playwright and there was also an actress um jane alexander and she said something that really resonated with me which is if you have any doubts about this field don't do it because it's that hard to make it and You know, I didn't forget that. And so I ended up um, not going back my uh, sophomore year and I entered University of Maryland. I took Psych 101 and I fell in love with it and I'm still in love with it. I still I'm still passionate about it. Um, God love her for saying what she said. Um, Otherwise, she yes, would have I've, I've, I have, have to you. hopefully if she's listening. Thank you, Jane. Um, <laughs> that, so, but I've, I've, I've tinkered in other things. Uh, I've always been interested in politics, which is one of the reasons I chose social work, because it marries policy and clinical both. Um, And I'm very passionate about, about that. I've done some, I've had some legislative, some legislative work. um, And I, um, I've also taught at the college level. I even had my own sewing business for a year and dabbled into children's book writing, but nothing, nothing came of that. It's a lot harder to write children's books than you think people. So
0: anyway. I've spoken, I have spoken to several children's books, writers, authors, and um, yeah, you think it's going to be. Oh, just make up a story, but it's not. Nice. There's a lot more detail in it. I agree yep. with you. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
0: No, that's cool. That's cool. But like, oh, I okay, did. Okay, so well, you
1: did you, you didn't. Uh, oh. mean um, you didn't do the intro. I forgot.
0: Um, no, no, no. That's cool. I've all I've already
1: recorded the intro. It's oh, okay, okay. So everyone it's knows good. about my no, no, joining no. the army at the age of forty-two. Yes, I joke around yes, that some like, people. When they have a midlife crisis, they buy a sports car, I joined the army. I always wanted to be part of something bigger than myself and have a larger impact. That's just something that has always been a part of me since a young age and, um, it wasn't something that was even on my radar and I don't have anybody in my family that was in the military, but right. we went to this air show and that kind of planted the seed. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized, yeah. And once I got into the military, I realized that a lot of people joined for that same reason. Right? Wow. Yeah. Do they? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and it's so, and it's such, it was so late in your life that you joined, Yes. military though as well right, right so 42. Like a lot of people join in their 20s like and you went yeah no. Nah,
1: right and I, I even had a private like, practice so it's not like you oh. know <laughs> yeah you just gave
0: all of that up and
1: joined the army yeah yeah
0: did you have to do like the gi jane stuff well maybe not the gi jane stuff but like so did we you had have our own version
1: like... of basic um which oh, is okay. officer basic leadership course and it's it's a med or uh, army medical. So it would not be taken, I think, all that seriously among those who are infantry. Um, But it was hard for me. I was coming off the street, as they say. Um, I had no military background whatsoever. There were a lot of people that were coming what's called green to gold. So they were going from enlisted to commissioned officer. And of course, they had, you know, their own sort of opinions about those of us who were you know coming off the street and it's like oh you think this is hard you know you're lucky you're not sleeping in a tent out in the snow blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> but you know and and my i you know i've had
0: um i've had ex-boyfriends who are ex-military so um you know parachute regiment in the uk and um british parachute regiment and stuff like that so i yeah i i know what those guys go through um, why would you jump out of a perfectly good plan? That's <laughs> some of the questions right. that I've
1: asked him. But, like, you know, at the end of the day. Everybody yeah. plays a role, and, and that's what I say. It doesn't matter whether you dig ditches or you're on the what quote-unquote front line. Um, you know, everybody plays a role, and it's all important.
0: So what did you do? So, okay, so what did you do? You didn't have a gun. I uh, actually, well, and I was and down, down range, like, I did. Chewy.
1: Yeah, I had to have... Uh, we, we, I was an officer, so I got a pistol right? instead of a. Okay, but
0: like, what machine. did you do? What did what was your job? Then? So
1: you know, I mean, I it's funny because you know the only um, the only role where you don't get a weapon is a um, past uh, what they call a chaplain. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah but yeah. but you know, I think of our role as very similar. I mean, it, it's it was only there for defensive purposes right so um, I started out I did four months in Kandahar airfield working out of the hospital and when I say hospital picture a combination of tents and plywood put together that's that was the hospital and then they built this outpatient center was all plywood very nice for you know in a, a theater of war but um and so once that was available i um i saw i did that and i saw soldiers um in both places and then and, I, and it was
0: and it was psych work that you would yeah, do it was very very much like what I do like here
1: except it was just working with yeah. soldiers and helping them with you know combat related issues and I could tell you some really amazing stories but that would take up the whole hour um and, and then um, uh, four months in, I was moved over to Bagram Airfield, where I uh, filled in as the XO for HHE headquarters, headquarters company for the medical command of all of Afghanistan. And that was wow. really amazing. And I discovered that even though I knew nothing about logistics, supply or procurement, I had my social work skills and my interpersonal skills. And so if you saw the recommendation letter I got out of that, it would knock your socks off. And it was just amazing because, and and it's something that I tell people about because it's, it's so much about what I do is that when you have the right coping skills, you can apply it to anything. When you have the right communication skills, you can apply it to any type of situation, right? Um, and so, you know, that's, A lot of what i i I, why i i'm doing the speaking because i really want to share you know this with the world because we need to we need to learn how to cope better we need to learn how to communicate better
0: yeah and like and like you have lots of different mantras. It, yes, it's um, like when we were talking uh, previously. Um, like you've got lots and lots of different mantras, and one of them is like "stop worrying forever." Like forever, people. We can stop worrying yeah. forever. That means like infinity. Yes. Um So like,
1: like, so what? How do we do that?
0: Like what?
1: <laughs> yes, that's a, that's intentional. Because, yeah. it, yes. Well, so one of the mistakes that people make is they um, they mix up anxiety and worry as interchangeable, and they're not. So, are they different? They, they are. Di- they absolutely different are different. Right. Okay, anxiety so let's go back to is a feeling, worrying is actually a thought process. It's like worrying a fear. Or, well, well no, the anxiety fear, is the fear. Worrying is what we call ruminating, oh, right? Oh, okay. Right? It's anticipating. Yeah. It's either anticipating something that's going to happen or it's rehashing something that's already happened.
0: Right. right. So from your experience, you're then worrying that it could happen again.
1: So worrying is a coping mechanism. That's what it is. It just happens to be a very bad coping mechanism. And that's why I teach people to replace worrying with problem solving. Right. So, you know, if um, so, first of all, let me go back and talk about uh, anxiety. Right. Um, And and I'll even let me go back even further. Um, So feelings. Why do we have feelings? Okay. we have feelings for the same reason that we experience pain when we touch a hot stove, or we experience hunger if we haven't eaten for days, right? It is a it is a um, survival mechanism, right? It's information to tell us that there's a need that's not being met or a threat that we're ignoring, regardless of what the feeling is. We're feeling overwhelmed, anxious, um, depressed uh, you know, confused, frustrated, right? Regretful. Um, those are feelings. We, 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 in this culture, we spend too much time talking ourselves out of our feelings. When I look at feelings as very practical, right? They are information. So anxiety is specifically when you feel anxious, that is your brain's way of telling you, you feel out of control about something.
0: No, that's fair enough, and that would be the difference,
1: yeah. Anxiety is not the problem. Anxiety is is a coping – I'm sorry, a, a, a survival mechanism that we are feeling out of control about something, right? And it's going to be one of three things. It's going to be fear of rejection, fear of failure, or fear of harm to self or others, and that can also be emotional harm, Right. Um, But that's what I find is one of those three things. So if you're feeling anxious, the first thing you want to do is you want to ask yourself, okay, I'm feeling out of control about something. And I know it's going to be one of these three things, right? Where is this coming from? And, And then you want to identify specifically what it is. Like you were asking uh, when your list of questions about children, helping them deal with anxiety. So let's say you have a child that is anxious about an exam. Okay. So the first thing you want to do is you want to say, okay, what is it specifically that you're anxious about? You anxious that you're going to fail it, right? Well, how would that happen? Um, You know, I might get nervous and then I forget everything that I've learned. I didn't study enough. Um, You know, I, I just don't understand the questions and the way that the teacher wrote them. Right. Okay. so so that's what your anxiety is for. It's to get you to problem solve. It's to energize you to identify what is it that I'm feeling out of control about? OK, and what I often do with my patients is I do a kind of worst case scenario exercise, which is not too worrying, but it's to really probe what is it that you're really afraid of? Because sometimes it's really hard for people. We feel this sort of anxiety and it's just a sort of this generalized feeling. But there is something there in the back of our heads if we can bring it to the forefront. And there's two advantages to that. First of all, when people often hear themselves identify what it is that they're really afraid of, they're like, okay, well, that doesn't sound very rational, number one you know because like this this example that i just gave you the kids are like oh well if i do badly on this chest, then i'm going to fail and and then i'm going to i'm going to fail out of school and i'm not going to be able to go to college and then i'm going to end up homeless i mean i really have been wow. there with people kids and adults you know this is what happens it's there and so you need to bring it to the forefront so that you can really look at it. So that's the first thing is, is they realize, okay, this doesn't sound very rational. And then the second thing is so that you can identify it because once you identify it, then you would say, okay, well, what's in your control to not fail this test, to not fail this class, to not fail school, to end up homeless? I mean, you know, uh, that's that, But but so they're problem solving. Do they
0: actually add fuel to that fire as such? Do they actually sort of, Feel it to get to that irrational stage. Not consciously. Way.
1: Not oh, consciously. Right, okay. It's there, and that's why it's better to identify it, so that number one, you can be like, okay, all right, now that doesn't sound rational. Once I hear myself say that, right? But that's what anxiety is—the feeling. Feelings are feelings; they're not rational. That's why we call them feelings. And and then, of course, it's about problem solving. So then, the third step would be once we identify, okay, what is it specifically? that you're afraid is going to happen, that's caused you to fail, then you say, what's in my control? What is in your control to avoid whatever it is you're afraid of? If it's you're afraid that you're going to get so nervous that you're going to forget, what are some strategies to avoid that relaxation techniques, some you know, you know, what can you do to help yourself remember things if you get nervous? I mean if it's you know not studying enough. Okay, what what might help you to, to study more? What are some different ways you can study to make you know make it helpful? Because the more ways you study, the more like you ought to retain it, you know, like writing it, speaking it, reading it, testing yourself on it um or if it's you don't understand the questions okay let's talk about that what is in your control I've, I've actually done all of these things with you know college students or high school students
0: so if you're anxious about something it's a, really your first move is to actually go right okay get to the crux of like what you're anxious about what so right what are you and I'm not going to say worried I nearly said worried there
1: um (laughs) but what are you you feeling anxious about and it's going to be again it's going to be one of those three things fear of rejection fear of failure or fear of harm to yourself or others yeah wow and so so in that case it's fear of failure yeah yeah and then then you ask yourself what specifically yeah are you afraid is going to happen we need to whittle it down and that's where I'll say to people okay what's the worst case scenario what is it that you're going to happen? This. Okay, then what? And this. Okay, and then what? Because the more you can pare it down, the more the easier it is to problem solve because then you're getting to concrete sort of examples. So, So you'll notice that in all of that, there is no worrying. It's all about problem solving. It's all about being pragmatic because that that's why your anxiety is there. You know, it's there to tell you feel out of control. So if you want to reduce your anxiety, then do things that are in your control. The more you do that's in your control, the less anxious you're going to feel. Now, the more emotionally invested you are in the outcome, the more anxious you're going to feel, right? So the more emotionally invested you are in the outcome, the more anxious you're going to feel, but the more you do that's in your control. The less anxious you're going to feel. So there's no need to go there. I call it angst, or it's actually to me, it's fantasizing. Whether you're anticipating something good or bad, it's all fantasy. And I don't deal in fantasy, I deal in reality. Right? What's what information do you have? What's in your control? Right? And so the worrying doesn't offer anything. In fact, if anything, it just makes you feel worse. But it gives people a false sense of control because they think if I anticipate the worst, well, then, you know, I won't be surprised when it happens. Or if I rehash, you know, and I beat myself up or second guess myself, then I won't do it again. But that's not actually the case. If you want to avoid something, the best thing to do is to look at what's in your control and then carry through on those things. Do the things that are in your control. The more you do this into control, the more in control you are, right? Yeah, I was gonna
0: say, so really the solution to anxiety and worry is dealing with getting to uh, solutions to the problem. So why you're anxious, why you're right. worried, and just dealing with the stuff that you can control, not the stuff that's out of your control, right? Because exactly. you right. can't control <laughs> now, the me... questions on your desk right. paper but you could probably control the fact that you've done lots of practice test questions or that you've actually revised maybe, you know, it's a no brainer,
1: but, um, but things like that. We are simplifying this and that, you know, there's really, I mean, just because you do the things that are in your control, doesn't mean that you're not going to feel anxious, right? Anxiety is a part of life because uncertainty is a part of life. Right. That's why we feel anxious. But are more people because are certain people um more
0: anxious than others? And why would that be? Is it a learned well, is it a
1: learned thing? Okay, well, there is different types of anxiety. Most of what people fear, I mean you're talking about worrying, really what you're talking about is generalized anxiety, which is you know what most people have. If you're talking about something like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, or a phobia, okay, then those are treated differently,
0: right? Some of it
1: in terms of OCD can be treated this way. I mean, you do want to look at what's in your control, but chances are, you know, you're also going to need some medication for that and even for, for generalized anxiety, right? Right um so how, wh- how much um you're able to manage it with um the coping coping skills right coping interventions really depends on the diagnosis where is that anxiety coming from is it part of um a, co- a chronic or clinical depression then chances are you will need medication and i take medication i have chronic depression, it c- runs in my family. Um, and, uh, you know, or if you have a, a panic disorder um, or you have OCD, you know, those sorts of things, usually, you know, you will need medication on top of, you know, managing man- uh, interventions, coping skills.
0: So if you've got those sort of things, then you fi- you may find that you're a lot more anxious than than other people
1: well what's going to happen is this if you find that you're applying coping skills right or trying to apply coping skills and it's it's not working you know you're struggling um to to manage it that's usually an indication that you need medication on top of that now it's hard for you know a, a lay person to say that because, you know, unless you've been in therapy, you know, you don't know that you're doing everything that you possibly can. Right. But, but that's what I do with my patients is I always start with, let's, you know, let's do the interventions. But if I'm from working with somebody for a while and they're still struggling to apply the interventions, what that's telling me is that the anxiety itself is not manageable on its own. Right. Right with just interventions. And let me just tell you this, I have had over the years, you know, of course, patients that are very reluctant to take medication. You know, I don't even take Tylenol, you know, I don't. Okay. And and there's, we could get into a whole topic about the medications and why they work, how they work. But, and I respect that. I say, okay, well, we're going to start with, you know, therapy, see how that goes. And Every single time I've been in that situation, the person eventually says, you know what? I think, I think I want to try medication because they see that we've been at this for months, maybe a year, right? And every single time, I kid you not, every single time they say to me afterwards, I wish I had done this sooner.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Because and the so medication, that's what I tell patients now. The
0: medication helps
1: chemicals it makes that this are anxiety in the brain more
0: manageable. Yeah, more manageable. Right. So does it? So the the medication basically produces some of the chemicals that may not be that may be lacking or or reduced in the brain that potentially with some it, of these. You know, it's
1: it's actually um, sorry because I don't know. complicated. I mean, you've probably heard about um, an imbalance in like what's called neurotransmitters, right? And that's part of it. And and actually the medication is not a mood altering drug. What it does is actually, it blocks certain receptor sites. So it's actually allowing your brain to do what it would do naturally, which is if the neurotransmitters float in the synaptic gap longer, and because they do, you feel better, right? But all the medication is doing is it's copying the molecular shape and fitting into these receptor sites. So they're blocking the neurotransmitter, which is actually responsible for the mood from breaking down too quickly, but there are other processes involved. Um, so, you know, and we're, we're just learning more and more about it. You know, we, there's so much we don't understand, but anyway, but let me, I want to say one other thing about, um, and
0: so much we're learning about diet and things like that as well, like the diets. And I want to say one other thing about,
1: Oh sorry. No no no, you carry on, carry on. About anxiety and that is that um so you know we were talking about it's it's a way of coping uh, it's a it's a response to uncertainty, right? So the thing is this no matter how much you try to anticipate every outcome and control every variable you can't, right? So the other place where we get our sense of control is what I call. This is um. You don't have a crystal ball to. I wish. Predict the future, right? I'd have the lottery right? numbers if I did. But what you can have, this is what I tell my patients: what you can have is a toolbox full of coping skills that you take with you wherever you go. That is where you get your sense of control and mastery over the world around you. If problem is that most people do not trust themselves, right? And that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from. And a lot of the anticipation comes from and wanting to predict because they don't trust themselves that they are going to be able to handle the situation. Right. So even, even if they've got tools in well, their Well, that's box? the point. That's what the toolbox is for. So so the point is is that you do what's in your control, right? But on top of that, you need to build up your toolbox. You need to build up your coping skills. The more coping skills you have in your toolbox, the more prepared you are for no matter whatever challenges come your way. And that's where we get our sense of control from. It's from problem solving and doing what's in our control, and then building up our tools in our toolbox. And everybody knows people that have a toolbox that maybe have a hammer, a screwdriver, and a wrench, and that's all they've got. And no matter what happens, they go back to those same things, right? And that's why, you know, they end up making poor decisions, right? So, and, yeah. and um, yeah. I'm biased, of course, but, you know, the best way to get that build up that toolbox is through therapy because there's just, there's so much that you don't know that you're not going to learn on your own. Well, and
0: some of those tools might not be handy tools. Like some people who get anxious, they may drink. Right. Exactly. That's not a a coping skill. That is a coping
1: mechanism. I separate the (laughs) two. There's three things that you need in order to change. You need insight. You need to problem solving. And then you need coping skills.
0: Right? So insight as in understanding what needs to change.
1: It's, it's about where is it coming from? So the example that, that we talked about, we talked about the example of, um, you know, the anxiety about test-taking, right? The insight is, is where is this coming from, right? The problem-solving is what's, what is in my control? And then you have to have the coping skills to apply them, Right? So, so what? What are some? Let's unpack these coping skills. There.
0: So, what are some of the coping skills that people could use to deal with anxiety? This triangle of anxiety.
1: I'm glad you asked that question because I'm prepared for the answer. That? Well, no, because I, I've got a view
0: of what they would be right. Right. in my head, but um, I want to hear it from you. So, you know, wanna, I,
1: I, like I I'm said, sure I always have. Similar. I have. You know, you've heard my analogies. You've heard my my idioms. So I often do things in threes also. So we talked about the three types of anxiety. Well, there are three areas that are in your control, okay? The first one is changing something about the situation. The second one is um, avoiding, um, not putting yourself in um, unnecessary stress right? I mean, avoiding unnecessary stressors. And I I say unnecessary stressors, because obviously there are a lot of things that we do that we have to do that also produce stress, right? Um, And then the third one is how you cope with, with your emotions and how you perceive the situation, right? So let's start with the first one, changing something about the situation. Now, this is the one that people rely on the most but it's the one that's the least in our control because it means oftentimes having to get a person to change or a dysfunctional situation to change. And we all know that that's not oftentimes in our control. right? But it's always worth pursuing, right? So um, I was just uh, talking to a patient today, she's in the Navy. And she was telling me how Monday mornings, she's always like, oh, I hate Monday mornings. It's gonna be horrible. There's gonna be all this work and all these people complaining because it's the weekend and they have all these things that have happened over the weekend that they want. And so, and so she was telling me, she goes, I'm trying to think more positive. And I said to her, you know, I I get that, right? And I have a problem with that because to me that is treating the symptom right okay so you're thinking negatively is a coping mechanism to uh, beco- to avoid something right why are we why are we thinking negatively you're thinking negatively that's a type of worry right because it's a coping mechanism so i asked her what is it that you're afraid is going to happen right there- going to give me a lot of work and I'm not going to be able to finish it all. And then, you know, I'm going to get in trouble with my work and right. And so I was like, okay, so what is that fear of failure?
0: Yeah, exactly. That was what I was going to say.
1: Right. Exactly. So then what do we do? I say, well, you know, if you're afraid of failure and you've identified what exactly could cause that to happen. Right. So we went into some of the different things like, you know, not getting all of her work done or people complaining and she can't help them or whatever, right? So then we get into problem solving. Okay, well, what is in your control, right? And that's when we get into the three things, right? What is in your control? So the first one in her case was asking some other people in her office to take on some of the work, right? That is changing something about the situation, right? wonderful when that can work, right? It's always worth trying, right? Or going to somebody and saying, hey, can I have a little more time to get this done? Right?
0: Yeah. Changing that situation. The second one
1: is about, um, uh, you know, avoiding unnecessary stress, aka setting boundaries and asserting yourself. That is what avoiding unnecessary stress is, setting boundaries and asserting yourself. So then we talked about that. And she goes, well, I could tell, you know, my supervisor, you know, if you're going to give me this, just let you know that I already have all this other stuff to do. So I'm going to have to give up something if you want me to take on this, right? That's being transparent, Right. So
0: and, and it, it is, and it also puts that supervisor in a position where they can go, okay, I need to prioritize what you need to do, exactly because it could be that what they've just given
1: them is top priority, and therefore, you know, yeah,
0: you're okay right. to drop everything else. But and this is something you
1: know. that I talk to women about a lot because women often put themselves in situations at work where they make themselves um, indispensable, right? Which is nice to feel appreciated. But not only is it not in your best interest because then everybody's like turning to you for everything, but it's not in Mm. the office's best interest because, you know, suppose you leave or, you know, yeah, God forbid something happens.
0: And and I've worked in a contract environment where you get a contract for six months or a year or two years or whatever, and um you have that type of pressure as a contractor to make yourself indispensable right to actually um and and it's male or female it doesn't really matter but it's about actually making yourself available for everything and anything so that when the end of your six-month contract comes up they go oh well you know you've got all this work on so it's great we'll keep you on and your job continues to go but you find that so many contractors suffer them from burnout because they overload themselves. They don't set boundaries like right. you said. And women in particular and, are really oh, good at that,
1: right? And and yeah. I could get into but, a whole well, thing about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. About you know, well, no, a lot but with you're women right. setting boundaries, right? Yeah. But, the, but there are two things that you can do in terms of what's in your control, in terms of setting boundaries. And one of them is what I just described, which I call um, – you know, um, you know, setting boundaries, in other words, uh, or asserting yourself and saying, if you're going to, if you want to give me this, then you're going to have to give up something else. The other one is what I call being transparent, which is saying, okay, you want me to do this? Okay, well, so I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do that. And I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do that. In other words, say out loud exactly what it is that they're asking you to do. Make sure that they know exactly what is involved Cause a lot of times, you know, we just salute and drive on and the people that are giving us the work don't realize how much is involved. And I can tell you that I have taught those things to women and it does help. It does help, you know, because then their supervisors start to realize, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, they start taking on some more of that stuff themselves or they give it to somebody else. They, You know.
0: Well, and also you don't get like, I think if you're transparent like that and you say, and you set the boundaries at work and it is hard at work, right? Because let's face it, Mm -hmm. that's where your income is coming from, right? You want to be seen to be a success to, you know, be indispensable to a certain extent. Some people do like to have that. Um, And it is about the fear of failure, the anxiety around fear of failure and all of that sort of stuff. And, um, but at the end of the day, you need to be an adult, I suppose is the maybe the wrong way to maybe advocate right. for yourself right? yeah,
1: advocate, but yes. this gets into a whole nother realm about self self-esteem and sense of self, um, you know, that, uh, so I don't you know I don't know if you want to go into all that now. but I, wow you know, I just, does it stop us worrying? Let me go back to the the third thing that's in our control, right? Which is how we cope with our, um, our emotions and how we, um, you know, how we perceive a situation. So, so the things that are, the the thing about this category is it's a hundred percent in your control. Everything in this category is a hundred percent in your control, right? How you communicate, how you problem solve, how you, manage your emotions, Um, you know, how you adjust your expectations, you know, those are some examples of things that are 100% in your control, right? Um, Another one is learning how to self-validate and that is something that I teach a lot of people how to do. So let's unpack self-validation. Okay, so, um, so this is what I find, and I, I think a lot of uh, my peers find this as well, is that most people are walking through life with feelings of inadequacy. That is, feeling <laughs> not good enough, yeah, not deserving enough, and there's something inherently wrong with me, okay? This is most people. So, What happens is, is the way people cope with that is they do something called mirroring. Now, let me take a step back here, because for all you parents out there, one of the most important roles of a parent is to be what we call a mirroring object. And so what that is, is this is where a child gets their sense of self from how you respond to them. So I'll give you a simple example. Let's say a boy falls off his bike and comes running home to his mom. He says, mommy, I fell off my bike. And the mom says, well, you should be more careful next time. Not earth shatteringly inappropriate, right? But compare that to, that's okay. Everybody falls off their bike sometimes, but I know you're a really good bike rider and you'll get back on and you'll do great, right? So what are the two different reflections back that, that that parent is sending. The first one is like you did something wrong, you made a mistake. The second one is you're perfectly normal, you're competent. And not only that, but it's also teaching resilience, right? So parents need to think of themselves as mirroring objects. The tone of voice that you use, you know, what you say, right? your body language, all of that is sending a message. This is not, we're not talking about role modeling. We are talking about how a child develops their sense of self, their self-concept, right? So because most parents are not trained in this and there's a lot of dysfunctional families out there, children get either inadequate or worse than that, you know, really negative mirroring. So what happens is we go out into the world, and we still are looking for mirrors. So we use other people as mirrors to get a sense of self. Uh, and That's you, what and people do.
0: So we're looking for other people to validate that we're good enough. Is is basically what you're saying? Exactly. So it's it's almost like for, that, yeah,
1: yeah. You, I'm good enough. I'm, you know, I'm worthy. I'm competent. I'm likable. I'm whatever. Right? <clears throat> okay. So there's a couple of reasons why that's not a good idea, right?
0: Okay, go for it. The
1: first one is um, no matter how somebody feels, no matter, let's say, how how much you upset, annoy, um, confuse, hurt, you know, frustrate somebody, right, they are still responsible for how they manage their feelings and how they express them, right? You may cause a certain feeling or evoke a certain feeling by something you do or say, but they're still responsible for how they manage it and how they express it, okay? yeah, they have a choice. They have a choice as to how they react. And even though many people don't know how to manage their emotions and they don't have good communication skills, that's not your responsibility. You may understand that, but you're not responsible for compensating for that, okay? So, when you are using somebody as a mirror, right, what you're doing is you are basing your sense of self on somebody else's dysfunctional coping mechanisms and poor communication skills. Right. Because that's all you that's all you see. That's all you know is what they say and how they say it. To you, basically. Right. And and so I have an expression. Anytime somebody's giving you feedback and they're making you feel bad about yourself as a person, they're doing it wrong. Because there's always a constructive way to give feedback. Right. So so that's why it's dangerous to use people as mirrors. I tell people, think about people as carnival mirrors. You know, those mirrors that they have at carnival is like really wavy, right? You're not going to get an accurate reflection of yourself as a person, right? It's not about your behavior, right? But who you are, your self-worth, your self-concept, all of those things, right? So this is what happens though. People are, use people as mirrors. so. If you use other people as mirrors, right, you're gonna do everything in your control to avoid upsetting that relationship. Yeah. So this well, is what happens. Is, your
0: boss, your partner. I have it
1: identified is. five things that people do. They oh, mind read. Okay. So this second is, guess. So, they let second me clarify, guess themselves. Right? this
0: is this is what the person who is mirroring somebody to get. Right. recognition or whatever Right. right. exactly okay. you're looking so for first, validation
1: reassurance
0: yeah okay. right and this
1: isn't conscious people don't do this on a conscious level no, but when you, but you hear about reading. women being people pleasers this is what this is
0: and what you're this, so what you're doing is your mind reading when you say mind reading what you mean is that you're going oh that person reacted that way towards okay, so me so mind, mind reading would be mind reading would be
1: i wonder what this person's thinking about me. Right. I wonder if they like me or not. You know, or I, I hope, you know, I, I, I wonder if I'm saying the right thing or doing the right thing or whatever. Right. That's mind reading. Okay. That's the first one. Anticipating other people's reactions. Like, well, maybe if I say it this way, then the person will do this. But if I say it this way, or, or what if I do it, th- then the person could do that. Right.
0: Seems like a lot of thinking, but yeah, go on.
1: Yes. This is what people do. I, yeah. Um. Second guessing yourself. Oh, why did I say it that way? Or why did I do that? I shouldn't have done this, right? Comparing yourself to others, right? Oh, why can't I be like that person? Or I should be able to do that. That person can do it. Why can't I? Yeah, why
0: can't I do it? Yeah.
1: Right. And then the, the last one is bullying, calling yourself, oh, that was stupid. I'm so irresponsible. You know, I'm so ugly. You know, I work with teenagers and the kids too, And when I ask girls, you know, I do this one exercise about, you know, your inner critic. What is your inner critic telling you? I'm stupid. I'm worthless. I'm ugly. Um, I mean, it's just amazing the things that come out of young girls' mouths, right? It's very sad, but it comes from somewhere.
0: It does. Um, And does, so with all of that, though, is, is, the bullying at school influencing some of that as well, though, where people are saying, oh, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're whatever. Does
1: that actually compound all of that? Like, where does, where does well, I this... think it, I think it, it, it comes from, where does that come from? So I talked about mirroring, right? Um, That is a big part of it. I mean, in other words, it's growing up in a dysfunctional family and not developing a strong sense of self a sense of mastery over your world right but the second thing I think is cultural and like particularly for women right historically where women gotten a lot of their confidence from so first of all women are innately relationship oriented right we are innately right that's a that's, that's a strength of ours right because we are what we're supposed to be right? doing that's, is right getting right, together right. having we kids. give birth to children so yeah. that that's Natural for us, right? Which is which is but, nuts, because we don't have is, to do but that. but on top of that, it's been reinforced when you think historically, what are the areas in which women have been allowed to excel in our culture? Traditionally, it's been very nurturing type of roles. Teacher, secretary, nurse, obviously, mom, right? Wife, right? And so that's where they have learned to get a lot of their self-esteem from, mm. right? Mm. And if you're
0: so, a CEO or something like that, then you're hard ass. You're a you know you're, you're oh, a bitch or right. you're like you know cold. Well, that's that's or where we whatever, get which into
1: is, which is not right. Which is self-validation. So um, but but this is this is what happens. So so women in particular. That's why they're people pleasers. But I want you to understand something here. This is very important. All of that, the people pleasing, the worrying about what other people are thinking. That is not a byproduct of poor self-esteem. It is a coping mechanism for fear of rejection and failure. And is that
0: because as a child you were rejected in some way? Well, like, like I said, where does that come from?
1: That that it's that feeling of inadequacy. Those feelings of inadequacy because that everybody you've walks had a around reaction. with. Yeah. Right. You know, because most people do grow up in dysfunctional families. Now, if you're if you're someone, I mean, there's some maybe familiar with Alfred Adler. He he's a he was a um, a um, a disciple of of Freud, and he was the one that believed that we are actually born with this feeling of inadequacy, and part of life is is learning to develop that. <laughs> Um, you know, but, but all I can tell you is that it is pandemic. I mean, everybody that, you know, everybody seems to struggle with these feelings of inadequacy. And I want people out there to know that, that you are not the only ones. And I love it when, when people come into my office and they go, you know, I'm really hard on myself or, you know, oh, or I, I, you know I have, a, I feel really, you know, I, I, I'm always worried about what other people think or I feel like there's something inherently wrong with me. And I'm like, yeah, you and every other person with two X yeah. chromosomes because but women do in you particular. Think, do you think it's society
0: as well, like pitting people against one another, like with social medias and stuff like that? Because I sit there and I look at, I look at the teenage girls nowadays, right, and you know, um they've got to be beautiful. Well, I, the media portrays them, they don't, you know, everyone is beautiful at the end of the day. We're all human beings, right? It's one in 4 billion chance of us all being here, right? One of us being born, right? So and we're all different, right? You don't look the same as me. I don't look right. the same as <clears throat> other people. So right? here, we're different here's colors, the key we're different sizes. Is you have
1: to stop looking outside yourself. For your self worth, your self confidence. And this is where self validation comes in. Okay. So I have two techniques that I teach my patients for self validation. The first one is called be your own best friend. And the second one is called the opposite of the golden rule. Okay. Now, let me ask you something. If you're talking to one of your kids, would you ever say to one of your kids, now, son, if you want to avoid rejection or failure, this is what you have to do. You have to mind read, you have to second guess yourself, you have to anticipate other people's reactions, you have to compare yourself to others, and you have to bully yourself.
0: There's too much hard work. That no? must be simpler.
1: No. No, you wouldn't tell them to do that.
0: No. But do you do that yourself?
1: Probably. Do you do things-
0: well, yep. I, do you know what? It's quite funny because probably in my 20s, so in my teens and in my 20s, I probably would have done all of that. Now I'm at the age I'm at, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, you know, a lot like of that. I just sit yes. there and I, but the, because, because I okay. suppose in my teen years and my 20s, I felt as though, And like, it was a competition, right? Like it was like, well,
1: also there's stuff going on developmentally when you're in your teens, first of all, that is when you reach that period in your life. We call identity versus doubt. You're starting to separate from your parents. I, I tell teens, you know, you know why adults annoy you so much? That's a good thing. That's because you're maturing and you're starting to see them as people instead of idealizing them and putting them up on this pedestal. Um, But, you know, that's why teens are so preoccupied with things like music and clothes and who they hang around with because they're looking for a sense of identity. And it's a lot easier to find that through, you know, more external things, right? But and keep in mind that our frontal lobe does not fully develop till the age of 25. So a lot of the things that you see teenagers do is because they don't have the capacity to, you know, impulse control, problem solving, you know, um, um, emotional regulation, you know, things like that. OK, so but most people I find. Right. Are very hard on themselves. They do all of the things that I just described. Right. Even though. If they were talking to somebody else, they would say, don't worry about what other people think. Just be yourself. Right. Um, you know, because it's so easy to say that, that you, but find yeah. the way that you are. Right. So. Here's here's the thing. And this is this is the the, the positive, the rainbow. Right. At the end of the at the end of the tunnel or whatever. Right. And just Um That what this shows is that you have the capacity to self-validate because you do it for other people all the time. This is this is what I find. If I ask somebody, what would you say to somebody else? and what wouldn't you say to somebody else, they can come up with the right answers, healthy, constructive answers. And when I ask them why wouldn't you say those things, the negative things, like, well, first of all, it's going to just make them feel worse. And I'm like, yeah, but don't you want them to avoid rejection or failure? No, that's not going to avoid rejection or failure. Oh, it's not? Oh, okay. How do you avoid rejection or failure? You problem solve, yeah. right? What happened? Let's problem solve. What's in your control? What's not in your control? There's no benefit in beating yourself up. I call it. Well, you may not know about Columbo, but Columbo was this, this um, detective, investigator. The detective. Yeah. Detective yeah, yeah. from know, the 70s. I know a little
0: bit. Yeah. I know a little yeah, bit about
1: yeah. him. And he had this way of doing things where he would act like he didn't know what he was doing when he really was. So I say, be Columbo without the trench coat and the cigar. Be curious about yourself and ask yourself, what was I thinking You know, what was going on for me at the time? What coping skills did I have? What upbringing did I have that may have led me in this direction or limited me from from how I cope with this, right? There's nothing to gain from beating yourself up. So that is being your own best friend, is basically ask yourself, what would I say to somebody else? What wouldn't I say to somebody else? And those are the things that you need to be saying to yourself. If you really want to avoid rejection and failure. Now, that is when how you treat yourself. That refers to how you treat yourself. Now, what if somebody else is treating you a certain way that's making you feel bad? This is where opposite of the golden rule comes in. So we all know what the golden rule is, right? That is no, what do is unto it? others as you would have oh. done to you right treat other okay, people the rule. way you want to be treated yeah well this is what i find and particularly for women right is we tend to treat other people better than we treat ourselves right okay so the opposite of the golden rule is you have a right to be treated the way you treat other people and that can go both ways i mean if you treat other people crappy then you probably have a you right deserve to be, tra- to be treated, that treated. Way, right You have the right to be treated the way you treat other people. So if somebody is making you feel bad, then what you can do is you can say, what would I do if the situation reversed? Would I act the same way? Would I say the same things? Would I do what that person's doing? How would I handle that? And there's your answer. And if that person is not doing what you would do, well, then you have your answer you know what they're doing is unhealthy, right? And so this is about, again, tapping into your instincts. These are your values, how okay. you treat people, right? And how about you deserve to be treated. These are your values. And what happens is, is when we're talking to ourselves, we're not accessing our values. We're accessing our insecurities. So this is about accessing what's reasonable, what's rational, those two techniques allow you access your values and to make decisions based on your values and not on your insecurities. So this is where
0: somebody has done something to you or said something all the time. This happens all the time. And you've basically gone, I don't, I don't, that's, it doesn't feel nice to me what you've said, right? Right. Well, see, that's not what usually
1: happens. What usually yeah. happens is the person second guesses themselves, or they beat themselves well, up. Was, oh, this person's upset with me. Um, this is, is what, what I this was is say. what this is using people as mirrors, right? So that was what. I was oh, this say person's to you. upset I, with me. You know, I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't have said it about, that way, or I'm a failure, a, or I'm irresponsible. And that's when I say, okay if the situation were reversed, would you have handled it the way that person handled it? The things that they said and the way they said it and what they did, is that the way you would handle it? And I'm going to tell you 99% of the time the person is going to go, no, I wouldn't do it that way, right?
0: Mm, because there's okay. a, a
1: more constructive way to communicate. Again, what, what you, this goes back communication to confused, is you are not though. responsible for the way people manage their emotions and express them. And so chances are when you're feeling bad, or you're beating yourself up, it's because it's the way the person managed their feelings. You know, they, 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 they pointed fingers, they, you know, yelled at you, you know, they criticized you when they could have said, you know, the way that you just said that really hurt my feelings. Right. As opposed to, well, wow, you know, you don't have to be a bitch about it. Okay. Right? Okay. Or, I was, yeah. you know, oh, well, you didn't, you know, why didn't you call me? I don't appreciate being ignored. Oh, well, you know. I feel terrible that I didn't call her. I forgot, or, you know, um, I didn't realize she was expecting me to call or, you know, I'm so irresponsible or, or I just, it was a mistake. I made a mistake. Oh my God. Right. But if the person had said, Hey, I just want you to know when you, when I didn't get a call from you, I was really disappointed. And I felt like, you know, you didn't care about me. And usually what I teach, this is all communication skills is I don't make assumptions. So, uh, but I don't want to make assumptions. So I'm checking in with you. Is that how you meant to come across? So you are asserting your feelings and you're saying, this is how you made me feel. And you have a right to assert your feelings, but you're also giving the other person an opportunity to say, this was not intentional.
0: Well, so this is what I was going to say, right? I was going to say, what about if you've misinterpreted how they've come across right okay but then but then I was going but am I second guessing then
1: so like (laughs) so so this is what happens all the time this is the trap that people fall into yeah is they say I'm going to give you this really good explanation and therefore you're not going to be upset anymore in other words you're wrong for the way that you think and feel and here's this really good reason why okay oh you're upset because I didn't call you Well, here, let me just tell you what happened. Um, I, you know, I was, I overslept or, you know, I was busy at work. But does does that mean the person doesn't have a right to feel the way that they feel? Right? I'm telling you that most of the time, vast, vast majority of time, when somebody says to you, you know, I'm upset because of blah, 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 they want you to say, Okay. well, help me to understand what about what I said or did made you feel that way. Right. Because it's not about right and wrong. It's about it doesn't matter whether you had good intentions or not, because that person is still entitled to feel the way that they felt. Right. Because you can understand something and still have feelings about it. Right. You and I have you and I have lunch reservations and i'm waiting yeah. for you and waiting and waiting
0: and you yeah. don't show
1: up and then later you say to me oh i'm so sorry elaine but i got a flat tire and um and and my battery and my, my phone was out um and i couldn't i couldn't reach you i'm like well okay i understand but i'm still disappointed yeah. i was looking forward to getting together for lunch right well that's fair enough so that's and that's a simple example but i'm telling you that most of the time when we try to explain ourselves in the hopes that we're going to, the person's going to hear our excuse, our reason, that they're going to feel better. All they're going to hear is that their feelings are being dismissed, that they don't have a right to feel the way they feel.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So what about
0: a situation where your boss is stressed out, right, really stressed out? And they basically, um, you do a piece of work for them and they come to you and they snap at you and go like, oh, well, that wasn't what I wanted you to do and uh, X, Y, and Z, right? Um, sorry, I'm going to sneeze. Maybe I'm not going to sneeze now. I don't know. Um, I hate when that happens. And, um, and you just, yeah, and you go, oh, well, that didn't make me feel great because you snapped at me. and I know, But you're telling yourself the story of, but well, I know they're under, really, uh, they're under a lot of stress. So it could be that they just didn't think about what they were saying and how they were saying it and all of that. Right, but that I doesn't mean, dismiss do
1: you... the fact that you have a right to be spoken to respectfully, right? It still hurts when somebody doesn't speak to you. I mean, they may have the best reasons in the world, but that doesn't excuse it. It may have a good intention, but good intentions do not, it's not about one or the other. It's what I call perception and intent. And both are valid. It's not about one versus the other. It's about both are valid. And communication is not about right and wrong. It's about reaching understanding. Oh, I could see how the way that I said that could come across as disrespectful. I could see that. So tell help me to understand what would be a better way for me to say that. It was like, I'm feeling really stressed out right now. And so I apologize if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm curt with you, right. Would be a, be more transparent, right. Or, you know, oh, okay. It's helpful to know that this is what was going on. So in the future, I won't make assumptions that, you know, you disrespect me. I will check in with you first and say, Hey, you know, that, I felt, you know, kind of like, you know, like maybe you're mad at me about something, or, but, you know, I'm not going to make that assumption, so I'm checking in with you. Is that is that how you meant to come across? And 99% of the time the person's going to go, "Oh no, no, no. Of course I respect you." So that's that's why we have communication. Is for is for to reach understanding, not to get the other person to agree with you or see things your way. Now, you know, in certain situations with the boss, you may not get may not be able to communicate with them that way, but you can at least self-validate. You can say, hmm, if the situation reversed and I was the boss, would I talk to one of my employees this way? No, I would not. So this is not about me. This is about this other person because I know that I would not talk to somebody this way. And so at least you are not allowing that person to affect how you feel about yourself. You are not using them as a oh. mirror. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, no, that's right. You're sort of going, okay, they're stressed.
1: Um, they I know this isn't about me. I, I didn't just, de- yeah, I don't deserve this. Is, this I am, didn't do anything yeah, wrong. Deserve, yeah. But that's not what very, happens. Most people use other people as mirrors and they don't separate out the way that they're expressing yeah. themselves.
0: And it's very easy to go, oh, it's me. It must be something right. that I've You're done. You're mad at my, so yeah, me. So therefore I did something me, wrong. Me.
1: But it's the way that they're they're managing it. That's what's making you feel bad. It's not the actual feeling itself. If they were to say, you know, what you just said really frustrated me when I didn't appreciate it, it wouldn't make you feel bad about yourself, right? Because you're focusing on the behavior. And that's why I say if somebody's giving you feedback and they're making you feel bad about yourself, they're doing it wrong. Chances are it's really about they're not managing their feelings well and or they're not communicating them constructively
0: yeah no no you're right blimey oh there's a lot of unpacking just gone on for the last hour crikey so look um i would love to get you back on because there's so much more that we need to talk about and cover off um so look if people wanted to get in contact with you or learn more about all of this anxiety, worry, and how they can help their kids. How do they? How do they get in contact with you?
1: Well, I have a blog, and the blog okay, is called cool. Mentally Speaking um, yeah. dot blog. And um, a lot of the articles are really more about social issues or current events, but from a psychological perspective, because it's the one expertise that has been left out of the conversation. Right. You know, we will concert experts in law and um, national security and medicine, but we don't we don't we don't talk to behavior experts. Right. And and so no. much of what happens in our society is based on behavior, which is based on yeah. thoughts and feelings. It's key. But it's key I do have some psychoeducational articles in there as well. There's there is one on anxiety. There's one on why do women people please? There's one on um, um, self bullying. And um, so, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. I There's also loads have of information that I have eight episodes that I record of a podcast. It's called It's More Complicated Than You Think. Because as you can Definitely see, is. if you've been listening for the last hour, human beings are a lot more complicated than we give ourselves credit for. And I say, if they oh, yeah. weren't, you would have figured it out by now. So give yourself some credit. You are a lot more complicated than you realize. So that's the name of the podcast. It's more complicated than you think. Um, it's, It's on Anchor, but you can probably find it through any of the podcast platforms. And there are three episodes on there about parenting. Everything that I tell my patients about parenting is on there. So it's really helpful stuff.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. No, that's great. Okay, well, I'll put that all in the podcasty blurb anyway um, and go from there. And look, um, my last final question to you is what book would you recommend to my listeners and why?
1: Well, um, you had given me a heads up that you thought would be helpful to have a book about parenting. This is The Book for Parenting. It's called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. It's been around for decades. It's by Adele Faber, F-A-B-E-R. And that's all you need to know. There's a second co-author, but okay. And there's a teen one too, How to Talk So Teens Will Listen and Listen So Teens Will Talk, right? And it's a really easy read. There are comics in here to help explain i need
0: to read this you know
1: book. the do's and don'ts um, and most of what i yeah, teach kids my son's going a bit deaf most of what me. i teach parents it's in this now as far as anxiety goes there's a book called the anxiety and phobia workbook and it's a great reference it's got exercises in there Anything that you deal with in terms of anxiety is in there and you don't have to read it cover to cover, but whatever you're struggling with, you can find chapter on that and read those pages. Again, it is another one of those go-to books that therapists use and it is written by Edmund Bourne. I believe he must be British because he spells it E-D-M-U-N-D-B-O-U-R-N-E. And it's like in its eighth edition.
0: So, and neither one of these is expensive at all, so. No, 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 fantastic. Thank you for that. Thank you. Well, look, I definitely need to get you back on because there's so many bloody subjects we need to talk about, um, especially like helping parents to help their kids and helping parents to help yes. themselves, right? Let's face it, I've learned so much Yeah. Um, about what we've just unpacked today. It's, yeah, it's insane, insane. Look, thank you. I'm going to let you get on with your evening it's Friday night yes. where you are. Saturday morning, Saturday morning, and blue skies in Melbourne. Just for anyone who's listening, wants a weather report. Um, so yes, you're welcome. Thank you. And um, we'll okay, get you back on Next okay, year, yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, all right, no worries. Okay, Speak take care. To you later.
1: Bye. bye, bye, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin, and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.